Uh, we're getting back on First Corinthians. Last week we enjoyed talking about the Mexico trip that some of us went and came back from. I hope that everyone's recuperated and and missing it yet. Glad to be back. Uh, I'm glad to be back on uh, studying the First Corinthians. The uh, couple of weeks ago we talked about what's happening so far in this in this letter to Corinthians, Paul's letter to Corinthians. And what we know is that there's a problem. And what is that problem? There is division in the church, right? Church is divided. And Paul, um, arguing against that division, lays, laid some foundation, and that foundation was precisely very much the Sunday school answer, which is uh, cross. The wisdom of God, you, you're arguing, and your argument and your arrogance of wisdom is dividing you, but the wisdom... The real, true wisdom is wisdom of God, which is a cross, and that cross is revealed by the Holy Spirit. So that's the foundation that Paul lays. And when we come to chapter 3, he speaks at them directly. Uh, So he's no longer soft or gentle. He's actually very harshly talking at them. We talked about last week on that he talked to them, dealing with Corinthians. He said they're still infants, they're not mature, they are still of the flesh, and you know, they're, 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 living, they're living by the human inclinations. And what he's saying by, in that is, still, most of you, some of you, are in your life, the person who's in charge is you, yourself. You're doing whatever you like. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. The person who's in charge is you, and not the Holy Spirit. So, that has resulted in uh, their view of the leaders. Like how they view Paul, how they view other various different leaders within their church, which in turn is causing the division. So dealing with what is their view, false view, and Paul's teaching on who are the leaders within the church, that's what we'll deal with today. And when you talk about leaders within the church, it's rather kind of boring topic, like Justin's yawning. Yeah, it is kind of boring topic, and you, you have a hard time relating to it. And there's so much on it. You can talk so much about the leadership within the church, how it's operated and how it's done. Uh, and there's so much to do. We won't cover and we won't really get into it deep in it. But it is necessary within the church. If church is well operated and leaders are well established, it helps the church. right? So it, it helps for you to understand how the church works, how the church board works, how the church within the Nazarene churches work and all of that. Um, but you think, well, but, you know, they're talking about pastors. And you feel like, and I think these passages we're about to read are mostly related to pastors. And people really, oh, this is Paul talking about how the pastor should be. But Paul is simply talking about leaders. And so that in that, you can relate. Everyone here can relate. Because most of you are already leaders in some capacity. And all of you will, if not yet, will advance into a place where, where you are leading others. So you're all leaders. And Paul is talking about leaders within the church. So it, this, is, uh, this is all about you. This is precisely about you. And, you know, it's my hope that, that this lifeline isn't just a traditional church where there's a pastor. There are pastors and there are a few leaders who does all the work and the rest of the people just come and go on Sundays. It's my hope that everyone here becomes leaders of the church. And, and the dream and vision of that is, in order for that to happen, we'll multiply using the leadership from all of you. you know, So all will advance into leadership, right? Because there's a, 
distinction, but there is a distinction between lay leaders and ordained elders. So the terminology elders is basically referring to pastors within the Church of Nazarene, um, or you know the ministers or priests. Uh, and there is a distinction in the Bible. And I will tell you that distinction is not by systematic and education, educational validity uh, background, but that distinction is by devotion and accountability. You're not pastor of a church because you went to seminary. You're not a pastor of the church just because someone told you that gave you that position within the denomination, within the church. You are that Paul type of person by your devotion to the church, to God's kingdom and ministry, and the accountability that you hold to the church. So by the meaning that we are ordained, Josh is ordained, I am ordained, uh, you met many of the uh, pastors within the Church of Nazareth that are ordained, they, hold, they are held accountable, accountable to the church. And their accountability sets them as someone who are uh, distinct leaders within the church. But we'll talk a little bit about that, but what Paul is mostly concerned is the leaders within the church, all leaders, because leaders will come and go, and there are leaders within the church, and that really is Paul's concern. So, um, we'll talk about all this, but I'll try to make it in very as simple as possible. And uh, next week, we'll talk more about this, because Paul will continue on, but Paul will actually sum up and make conclusion of his first four chapters, first section of his letters. So he'll close that section of his letters, and he'll move on to uh, immorality within the church, and he'll start talking about how women dresses, talk about tattoos, and he talk about sex. My favorite topic to talk about. <laughs> Not really. Uh, but it'll be interesting. He'll talk about sex, he'll talk about different things, how women's hair length and all of that. It's fun. Good times are coming. Okay? Uh, so we'll move out of that foundational stuff and Paul, and we'll move into something that are more practical. Uh, but, like I said before, studying First Corinthians... Paul's emphasis is not so much on practical stuff, but how the foundational values are applied to these practical things. So, whatever these things may change, when we hold these foundational values that Paul teaches, which is the cross, that we have the answers to figure out what to do. Okay? Um, so, we'll go ahead and read again. The focus today is from verse 5 to 17. But we'll go, ahead and we'll go ahead and read from verse 1, just to give us context in which we are reading it. So, uh, we read this two weeks ago. We'll go ahead and do it again. Verse 1, chapter 3. I'll read one verse and you read the next. <clears throat> and so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. For you are still of the flesh, for as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving according to human inclinations. For one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, and are you not <coughs> What then is Apollos, what is Paul, servant through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each? So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The For we are God's servants working together, you are God's field, God's building. 
According to the grace of God given to me, like a single pastor builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will come, become visible. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will see the reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful of your words. We pray that these words are applied and they are revealed in our hearts by the power and the help of your Holy Spirit. Help us understand it. Help us to be applied. Help us to be convicted. And in turn, help us realize how precious we are as the community, as the church, and what work lies in our head. Help us in bringing this word alive by the help of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Well, you read this last week. Uh, we studied a little bit, at least the first part of it. What are your thoughts? Any questions? Anything that stood out to you? Nada. Anything that's uh, that you remember from last time, that uh, two weeks ago that we studied this? So, so when Paul mentions himself and Apollos, he's also it's also um, he's also referencing like the division within like the people, like the people from Rome and the people from the Grecian people from the Jews. There is a hint of racial uh, division, not just uh, it's examples Apollos and Paul, but there is a deeper division within it. Yeah, and that's precisely the frame in which Paul is speaking, making this argument. What else? Anything else to out to you? The foundation is what we focused on last week. Who is the foundation? What is the foundation? Jesus. Jesus. Right? The foundation is Jesus. It's the cross. And we talked about that. And uh, it, it ended with Paul saying, For when, when, when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Paulus, are you not merely human? It's showing their division is a sign of their immaturity, that they're infants, they're still of the flesh. So Paul answers back by saying in verse 5, he said, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? He doesn't say who is Apollos. He says what is Apollos and what is Paul? So when you look at verse 5 and verse 9, I have tried to show it to you that this is another ring composition that we talked about. It's in the form of uh, four parts, A, B, B, A. And the topic here is following verse 5 is, who are Paul? Or what are Paul and Apollos? So the question Paul is asking and is allowing, is causing us to see is, who do Corinthians see Paul and Apollos? 
And obviously we know from the previous you know, study that the leaders, Paul and Apollos are, are two of the leaders that are of opposing parties, of whom they are wise enough to decide who is better than the other. They say, we're smart enough, we're, we have the wisdom, we think this one's better, we think that one's better, we think we're better, they're not as good. So, Paul and Apollos, in the perspective of Corinthians, are the one that divide it. Right? Um, but Paul says otherwise, because he says, servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. And he compares this, their work, to farming. Verse 6, I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. And this is where we get the word uh, church planter, which is kind of corny. Um, but this also, Paul is, is taking this from the Old Testament in Isaiah, uh, which Paul refers a lot, is Isaiah 60. It talks about God planting Israel. Um, so, he lays out more on who they are, continuing on verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each, each will receive wages according to the labor of each. But we are God's servants, working together. Again, Paul calls himself servant, right? Servant. And the word of servant in Greek is diakonos. This is where we get the word, what does that sound like? Deacon. deacon. Yeah, this is where we get the word deacon, servants. But... That's not what Paul is referring to. He's not referring to deacons. He's simply saying they are, Paul himself is a servant. And uh, also he refers other church leaders like Timothy uh, throughout his letters in this, with the same word, diaconus. So here's what Paul is saying of leaders. In these few verses, Paul is saying a lot about who the leaders are, their identity, their attitude, and, and how they are together. And it applies to all of us. You and I, because we are all leaders within the church. We're leaders for God's kingdom. So I have listed five things that Paul is essentially saying in these verses. And here are they, here they are. First, number one, leaders are God's servants. He mentions it twice, right? God's servants, not masters. They are there to serve. Whether your positions within the church might be different, whatever it might be, you are server, servants, not masters. Ben and I joke about, you know, now that he's an NMI president, he talks about, I'm going to be the president. I want my office with my flag and my door. If there is a church, my own parking space, because I am El Presidente, right? Um, You talk about that, and we joke about it. (laughs) Right, we joke about that. But Paul says here, essentially, the foundation is that the leaders... Are servants, and that's what Jesus showed. He showed us how to serve. Number two, each has a specific ministry, and we see that in Paul, where he says, "Paul plants, while Apollos waters," which also means not all leaders have the same tasks, right? Every leader has different duties, different tasks, and he's gonna, you know, obviously have a more more to come on this, you know, different gifts, different contributions. But what he says is, not everyone can be the same thing. Not everyone can be NMI president. Not everyone can be, within the church, can be young life leaders. Not everyone can be treasurers. Not everyone can be Bible study teachers. Uh, They all have different tasks. And each assignment, what they do, their different task is primarily, in verse 5, is as the Lord assigned to each. It's not you, it's not the church. Essentially, it's how God has assigned to you. And Paul is saying, we have been assigned by God. And these tasks, each task, are equal in value. Uh, 
I was at an all staff conference, uh, Young Life all staff com- conference, which was eight years ago, nine years ago. And there came this uh, a, a, theo- theo- a theologian who's really well respected, and he says, anything, you know, every day my work is I wake up in the morning, eight o'clock I go to library, five o'clock I come home from library because he's a scholar. He's still, he writes commentaries and different things. He says, this is all I do. I just stay in my life is at library. He says, I really envy all of you young life leaders who are out there in the field. I can't do that, but that's not what I'm called to. My task is to study and teach you about the Word of God. So there's a huge difference between what young life leaders do and this person, a scholar, does. But the task is equal, right? It's equal. Whatever the tasks are, while they're different, the value is the same. So whether within the church you're taking out the garbage, driving people around, you're reaching out to people, calling people, or whether you're studying the Bible or teaching the Bible, whether you're taking the leadership in the church board, or whatever it might be, the value is equal. And Paul is saying, what Apollos did do, and what I do, what these different church leaders do, they're equal in value. Number four, leaders are co-workers. They're working together, verse 9, with common purpose, verse 8. Josh and I were at uh, San Francisco, the Nazarene Pastor's Zone meeting, which extends to Peninsula in San Francisco. And we talked about different things, and and we came to talk about our hope and how to come together as different Nazarene churches, but essentially we are one church, and we shared our dreams and vision and hope. And what I sensed in that meeting was, even though we're all in different churches and dealing with different issues and different strength in the ministry and weaknesses in ministry, we are one because all have the same spirit and they are, we are all one. We have common goal, common purpose. We're all working together essentially. So he's saying that all leaders in the church are the same. Our co-workers are together. Number five, leaders receive wages according to the labor of each, not according to success or production. What Paul is saying is God has a different measuring stick than the world, especially the world of capitalism, right? Because how are we measured in the world outside the church? How are we measured? Success, right? What you add on, you what you develop, how much you produced. And the, your wage is based on your production. You can put all the efforts you want, all the labor you can possibly bring in, and it doesn't matter how much you tried. It's, it's nice that you tried, but you didn't make anything of it. Production is what is valued and how we are measured in the world. But Paul says here that God has different measuring stick. He says God measures by the labor of each, not success or production. This is why the whole thing about church growth, I'm going to write a book about anti-church growth. Um, hopefully it'll get produ- uh, you know, published. Um, when I finally do it in 10 years later, which probably wouldn't matter anymore by then. Um, but this is what's, me- what's wrong with church growth. The church has focused on growth and production. Like, and, and really what's sad about it is it, all the pastors are measured by, they measure themselves and they are measured by how much they produce, the attendance number, and how they grew the church. And it's sad because there are pastors who work just as hard, who put in a great amount of effort and labor and sacrifice, 
but they're not as praised and not as regarded just because the pastor's small church. It's sad to see, but what Paul is saying is whether you're small church pastors or mega church pastors, you're equal. You are measured by the labor. I like that because <laughs> we're small. Um, and, you know, I feel like that when I go to other meetings that, well, you know, we can talk, I can talk about what I do uh, for the church and do, but um, it's small in production. But that's not how we are measured. So your work, oh, I go to small church, I'm a part of this small church. It's not measured by the size of your, the community, it's about how much labor you put in and how much you sacrifice for it. And that's what Paul is saying. These five things about leaders. And Paul transitions here by saying, at the end of uh, verse 8, that you are God's field, God's building. So is Paul separating himself from the church? Because obviously when Paul says, you are God's field, God's buildings, he's saying Paul's readers, including us, are not farmers or builders. They are God's field and God's building. So the question is, how do we identify Paul's? How do we identify the Paul's, pastors, which we call it in our society, from the leaders of the church? Uh, How are they identified differently? Verse 10, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with, with care how to build on it. Uh, verse 10 on to the end of this is another ring composition. How many parts do you see? How many parts do you see? Quickly. It's a five parts. Ring composition. Do you see it? I divide it into five parts. Um, and Paul gives another uh, really well-known parable about builders. And uh, says, foundation Paul laid here uh, in verse 10 is what? What's the foundation that Paul has laid? Jesus, Jesus, yes. It's the Christ, Jesus, the cross, the shatia. We talked about this last Sunday. Foundation is the foundation that that lays in the Holy of Holies which Jesus is referred to. Jesus is the center in the Holy of Holies. Jesus is the sign where our, our forgiveness is laid upon. He's the shatia. He's the foundation. He's the center of the Holy of Holies. And because He's the Holy of Holies and He dwells in us, we are the temple. We talked about that last week. And Paul laid the foundation. He refers himself as a skilled master builder. The Greek Randy would like this. Greek of this word is sophos architecton. So, hey, architect is, comes from Greek word. It is sophos architecton. And Paul plays in two different angles here because it, he doesn't say well built. He could use a different word, but he says sophos because sophos not only does it mean masterful, clever, but it also means wise. So he's saying, I'm a master builder, and at the same time, he's also saying, I'm a wise. He's referring to the wisdom of the Lord that he has been talking about. So by his choice of word, he's playing two different angles of the type of builder that he is. 
Uh, and there are other builders, Paul says. In verse 12, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straws, and he's referring to materials used to build. Uh, and what the difference between these materials is that gold, silver, precious stones are precious. They're costly. They're valuable. And others, wood, hay, straws are cheap. Verse 13, The work of each builder will become visible and they will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. The fire here and the day refers to judgment day, but it's not talking about, sometimes other pe- people uh, turn this into talk about purgatory, but it's not. Uh, what Paul is saying is the work that each builder puts in will be revealed by the test of fire and what will endure and what will not endure and burn. The fire to Corinthians, what Paul is talking about is familiar because what happened to the city of Corinth? It was burned up. Right In uh, uh, 44 uh, BC, it was burned up by Roman. Rome came in and burned the whole city. So they understand what had burned and what survived. And these materials that Paul talks about, they know it. Corinthians are known to be the master uh, craft of bronze. They say in this first century, uh, Corinthian bronze was, uh, was worth as much as gold. Because the masterful uh, craftsmen they put in, it looked like gold because it's so finely refined. So they know, they can really relate to what Paul is talking about because they are they have dealt with this. And verse 14, if what has been built on the foundation sur- uh, survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through the fire, as if escaping through the fire. So, let's sum up and go back to our question, which is, who are the Pauls? Right? The pastors in our, you know, in our language, who are the Pauls? And the simple answer, because sometimes we get confused of distinction of who are the pastors. Is it simply because they are ordained? Is it simply because um, you know, they have the education? No. And here's the definition that Paul is giving. The, the the simple answer to this is, those who work on the church are Pauls, are the Pauls, like Pauls. Not those who work in the church. So those who work on the church are builders. They build church. They work on the church. They're not working in the church. They're the builders. And Paul says he's a skilled master builder, which sounds arrogant, but... It's not like he could say, I'm a poor builder. Like, I can tell you that, you know, and I will tell you that I am a master builder of the church. If I, if I came to you and said, I don't know what I'm doing. Would you let me pastor this church? You really can't say that. Uh, when you go, the only way for you to say is, I am a master. I'm a skillful builder. I know what I'm doing. And Paul here says, I know what I'm doing here. I am a master builder, skillful builder. And I think for me, Maybe I would not have said it like 10 years ago, but I can tell you, I think I know what I'm doing with the church. I know what I'm doing on this church, building this church. And, uh, and I, had, I read a lot of books. I've been to all the conferences. I study, and my you know, study at Fuller is just so that I can be a better builder of church, right? A better builder of this church and the church that will come. But my work is on the church, not in the church. Sometimes we get confused by it. A lot of pastors are confused by it. They think they work in the church. 
So their work is mostly in the church. They do like stuff that can be done with people in the church, like taking out the garbage and like fixing things within the church, mowing, you know, mowing the lawn, um, going to city hall and doing finance of the church and these little things that can be done. The work of a builder of the Paul's is work on the church. You build the church and that's what Paul's work is. So, you look at these people, and especially in our, you know, in our society, in our time, we look at pastors, and not all of the pastors are architects. They're just not built that way. That's not their gift. They make good teachers, but they're not the leaders who would build the church. Uh, but the key here is, here are what the the Paul's, the pastor's work is. The, the, their primary key is to, the work on the church is, to teach. And we talk about that. I talk about that to you. The primary work of pastors is to teach. Right? That's the primary work. Another part is that they are the spiritual father to the church. Not of the church. Let me make that distinction. The Pauls, the pastors are spiritual father and should be spiritual father to the church, not of the church, because you have the spiritual fathers of the church, like in this church, in Lifefly, who's, who are the spiritual fathers of this, the church? Of the church. Rob, right? And you go to different church, and some of the Korean congregation, you go to church, you find old people, <laughs> who's been around the church for a long time, who's really mature, who are very godly men, that you can take them as, as fathers. They are fathers of the church, right? They are spiritual fathers of the church. You look up on them, and they love you, they care for you. Great. They're fathers of the church. The Pauls, the pastors, are a spiritual father to the church, as a, to the community as a whole. So Paul talks about this, because uh, he says in the later, uh, in next week we'll talk about, he says, I am the spiritual father to you. That's what Paul says. And, Today is the Father's Day, right? Today is the Father's Day, and we should have prayed about this because not everyone has fathers, not all of you has fathers, and not all of you have a great fathers. I would say one of the most awkward moment um, for me is being with my dad. And Esther knows this. <laughs> I was just just with my my dad like three days ago, and I sit here. He sits over there. Everybody went in. We just sit. We don't talk. Right? I think the most awkward relationship I have in my life is with my dad. It just, it was never really close. We were, and we, it's really weird. Okay? Um, so I don't have really a father that's great, that I'm intimate, that I'm perfect. But <clears throat> at least I have one. Some of you don't. Some of you grew up without one. Uh, but we all have Heavenly Father who's perfect. And one of the great things about church is that you get fathers in the church. You get mothers in the church. You get those who care for you. And they're fathers and mothers of the church who care for you. And this, the father that, uh, that Paul talks about, father to the church, I kind of know what, what it is to be a father because I am one. Um, 
And I think there are two duties of father. And listen up, men. These are two duties of fathers. Okay? Number one, be a best example to imitate. It's high standard for fathers. Be a best example to imitate. Number two, teach with tough love. So, the problem with the world today, I share this a lot, are the bad fathers. Men have failed. That's why we have the failed society. Because we have fathers who are no good examples. Right? We have fathers who are no good examples. And you look at the, like what happened in Charleston, the punk, little punk. If his father beat him up <laughs> to shape him right, this would never have happened. Right? He did not have good father. He didn't have father to imitate. Paul says, next section, he said, be imitators of me. He said, copy me, be imitators of me. Fathers should be able to say to the children, just watch me. Do as I do. Just watch me. And it's the same thing with pastors within the church. Can I say to you, be imitators of me? I can. I think I can. Do you think that I can? I can. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I don't struggle. It doesn't mean that I make mistakes. But I can tell you to be, imit- to be imitators of me as you watch my repentance, that I live in, that I live in repenting life, in my, the patience I have and the grace I extend to you, and my pursuit of Christ, you can and you should be imitators of me. You know, from the, what I tell you all the time, be 11 to 7. I do go to sleep bed at 11 and wake up at 7. <clears throat> right? The prayer life that I tell you to have, the patience and grace, loving one another, right? Pastor has to be a spiritual father to the church to imitate the one who does what he or she teaches, right? Secondly, not only teaching the good stuff but and nice, you know, pleasant stuff, but hard stuff. Fathers, the other primary work of the duty of father is to warn, admonish, beat your kid. <laughs> that is the duty of the father. Your children has to be afraid of something, of someone. I, um, I spanked Hannah maybe two, three, th- three times in her whole life. Last time I spanked Hannah was maybe three years ago, four years ago. It came to be where it's not necessary anymore. It's set, it's done, right? Hannah knows to fear, to understand when dad says, no, this is not what's going to happen to you. You should do this. And, you know, I... Um, I explain to her the consequences. If you do this, or, you know, usually the punishment that kids get, which is, um, you know, uh, time out from this and that, right? The, what I do is, it's not the, the consequences, the discipline is forced upon. The father forces upon the consequences of what happens when a child makes mistakes. So I tell Hannah, you know, you have time out from this. The reason that she accepts that consequences is because the person who would force it to happen, right? Fathers needs to be that, right? Fathers needs to be that, especially if you have another boys. So, you guys, guys, you grow up, 
you have sons and your daughters, your job, not only is it to love them, but be an example, which is a huge task. And the other one is to love them with tough love sometimes. Because they need to know there are consequences to what they do. They need to learn what is right and wrong. And Paul says this too. He, Paul says in the, at, the, at the end of our next section we'll study next week. He says to Corinthians, he's about to ready to whip Corinthians. He says, I'm going to come with a stick. <laughs> Do you, what would you rather prefer? That I come with a, you know, kisses or you want me to bring a stick? He's ready to beat them up. Right? He's disciplining them. He says, my admonishment to you, my warning is firm. Because fatherhood disciplines is critical. Um, so, leaders work in the church, right? All of you are leaders within the church. I work on the church. Uh, when I'm gone, you've got to, and I will be gone. Uh, sooner or later, I will be gone. When I'm gone, you've got to find a godly person who will be a spiritual father, who teaches well, who's worthy of imitating, and who will keep you in line, right? This is type person that you look for. That's who you need to find when I'm gone as church, you, life flight. Or else I'm going to come back with a stick. <laughs> um, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy the person for God's temple is holy and you are the temple. The most important key in this verse is that you here is plural, not singular. Temple is singular. So Paul refers not to the individuals, but to the church as a whole. The church is ultimately God's temple. The Holy Spirit dwells among us. And the question is, do you believe this? That we are God's temple. For Corinthians to hear this, when they know there is an actual temple in Jerusalem that is active, it's a huge, it's huge. It's risky for Paul to say, it's huge understanding for them. Do you believe that we are God's temple? That spirit dwells in us. And it shows how important the church is. That God will destroy, annihilate those who will divide the church. Let me wrap it up. Corinthians see their leaders divided. Paul tells them that they are united. In fact, Paul tells them that we're not that important. That's actually the whole point in this. Paul says, we're not that important. So, you look at verse 6 and 7. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul is saying, why are you divided over us who are not anything at all for your growth? We're nobody. We're not that important. The focus is not the one, focus is not Paul and Apollos and different leaders or pastors and within this church, the focus is not me, Josh, or anybody. The focus is the one who grows, which is God. You know, you ask any farmers, none of us are farmers, Josh is maybe a little bit of a farmer, but I, I am a little bit, well, I planted last year in the backyard, Right? We had those uh, vegetables. You know, we have green onions grow and whatnot. And 
Um, my dad is a farmer. You know, he was a farmer and he knows all about it. But you ask any farmers, they say their contribution to the growth of their crops, like my contribu- contribution to the green onions and stuff that we grew, is very little. I spend one minute a day watering the plant. They know that their contribution compared to what is required, what actually really grows these crops, is tiny. So Paul says here, we're, we do little, but it's nothing compared to what God does. So who do you think grows your faith? And I think this is one of the problems within the church and for us. We think that because we have great teaching, because churches were organized, because there's a great retreats, um, because we sing great songs and Bible study is great, I read good books, that these things will grow my faith. It helps, but these are not what grows your faith. I've been around church all my life. I've known many pastors, right? Because my dad was a pastor. I've been to different churches. I know of a lot of churches. And I've been to churches where the pastors, the one who preaches, the builders of the church, are terrible teachers. Their preaching is terrible. I mean, and he knows, they say, oh, I can't really, I don't really know how to preach. But the congregation, people grow in faith. And I'm not talking about numbers. They are faithful. And obviously, it didn't come from the pastor's teaching. (laughs) And it's so clear to see, right? And there are pastors who, there are churches and communities that has, barely doesn't have any proper teachers. You go to Africa, there are churches with community, house churches of millions. It's amazing. Do they have a pastors? No. They have a few who barely have like five, six books to, to learn the word of God. Who grows faith? You ask yourself, who do you think, who grows your faith? I like to take credit for it, but it's not me. It's really not me. I, I do what God points me to do. I do my task, but it's not me. It's God. Do you look to God for the growth of your faith? Do you depend completely on God for the growth of your faith? And it's the same thing for me. I should not depend on my knowledge to study the Word. I should not depend on the books I read. I should not depend on anything else. But I should depend on God for my faith. Because He's the only one who grows faith. He's the only one who grows your faith. Wherever you are in your faith, some of you are further than others, some of you are struggling to believe. It's not anything. It's God. That's what Paul is saying. He says, you're divided over nothing. It's not me. It's not anything else. It's God who grows faith. You need to look to God. And, you know, the lesson for us is that we need to look to God. We need to be completely dependent on God to grow faith. So, let me go ahead and pray and close us. But bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And reflect. Have you depended on something something else to grow your faith? It's kind of like what we take from the world. We like things that are controllable. Books are controllable. Retreats and pastors and Bible studies are controllable. Or do you just simply seek God to grow your faith?
Have you prayed to God for your faith? So take time to pray to God for your faith. God, help me. Help my faith to grow. Father, we are so thankful to be able to call you Father because you're perfect and you're perfect to imitate for us. And not only are you Father, but you are the one who help us to grow closer to you, grow our faith. And I pray that all of us will stop depending on stuff, but solely depend on you to grow our faith. And in that, that we'll come together and be one. Because you are in this in the center of who we are. You are the Holy Spirit. You form us as your temple because we depend on you to grow us in faith. In Jesus' name, Amen.